0: Hello, my name's Mark, as Mark mentioned, and it's a real privilege to be here this morning. Uh, I've been following the growth and the, the development of this church since it was just an idea in a committee on a, lit, on a list of places where we ought to plant churches. And the problem, we said, was, well, that's a good idea, but who would actually be willing to go out there and do that? And then we found this guy from St. Louis. And brought him out, and, uh, you know, it, it's been a blessing to see how God has blessed this church, and, you know, this, this is, it's a privilege, real privilege to, uh, bring the Word of God to you this morning. And, uh, one of the best things for me about this church is getting to know Mark. You know, we're part of the Presbytery, and you can just imagine the Presbytery, it's not exactly a partying group. With one exception, and that's Mr. Middlekoff, and so, so, I've enjoyed uh, hanging out with him and, and we're a part of one of the vital committees in the Presbytery, which is the Presbytery ski and snowboard team, which has been an active and productive committee. And, uh, and I really appreciate Mark's dedication to that team and you guys giving him up to that team for a week every year so we can pursue God's calling on our life there on the slope. So today we're going to look at psalm 16 it's printed out in your program this is a psalm that that's uh kind of one of the psalms that i look to in my life that helps me stay grounded in what it is that god has called us to and what it is that god is doing in our life uh if you'd like to follow along it's printed in your program before i read it let's pray father i thank you for all the gifts you've given each one of us and i thank you for The work you've done in this church over the years and even for today, I pray that today as we look at your word, you would show us a little bit more of the promises of grace that you provide for us and the one through whom you provide all those promises, the one through whom all your promises are fulfilled, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 16, the Psalm of David. And my cup, you've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. And even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest secure. For you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you you let your faithful ones see decay. You've made known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's word. So this is an auspicious time, the first Sunday of the new year. And what I wanted to talk about a little bit for this uh, first Sunday of the new year, something I think we Americans, actually we humans are all obsessed with, no matter who we are, no matter what our circumstance in life is, that pursuit of personal security. It seems like the more we have, the more insecure we have, we become to feel... Because the more we have to lose, the less we have, the more insecure we feel, because the more vulnerable we seem to be, and so there 's this universal search for security of every type that I, I think is something that all humans are consumed with, and that ultimately we can only find if we find it through the one who offers it our Lord Jesus christ and so I want to talk a little bit about how it is that God offers that to us. You know, we look for financial security and social security, health security, job security, relational security, and personal security. I mean, there's few insults you can give to someone that are more cutting than to say they're just a deeply insecure person, right? But I think the answer to all of those, and ultimately the thing that will satisfy all those longings, is the security, the safety that God himself gives us And this psalm, Psalm 16, has been one that's been helpful to me in navigating my own insecurities and figuring out where ultimate security has to come from. And so I want to give you four aspects of how God works to help us find our security in Him. First of all, we need to find our security in and through our connections with the people of God. The first thing David says here is, As for the holy ones who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods, and I'm not going to bow down to them. David says his priority, the thing that encourages him, the thing that builds him up is his connections with the people of God. Because you need to understand something. That Christianity is a corporate religion. There's some faiths like Buddhism that are very individual, but to be a Christian is to be part of a connection to the people of God. And just in the same way, you can say you play football or play baseball, but you're not really a baseball player or a football player if you're not on a team, right? Because you can't really play unless you're connected to a team. And in the same way, you can say you're a Christian, but you're not really living the Christian life if you're not connected to the body of Christ, connected to the church and vitally related to the people of God. It's not a secondary thing, it's essential, it's of the essence of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, what it means to live a life of discipleship and fidelity to Him. And that's why David says, that the holy ones who are in the land, they are the noble ones, and it's in them that is all my delight. Because we don't find this alone and by ourselves. We find this in our connections and in the synergy that comes in relationships with other people. Because, you know, what happens is our point of view is deeply influenced by the people who we are closest to. That's just part of being human. We're, we're impacted and we're influenced by the people who we're most closely related to and And, you know, if that's your boss at work, if that's members of your family, if that's friends, if it's uh, students or or if you're a student and it's the people who you're who are in your peer group, those people, if you're connected to them deeply, are going to deeply influence you. And so if you want to grow in your security in God, one of the things you have to do is make sure that your deepest connections are with people who share your faith. That's the only way that it's going to happen. And that's why the church is so important. That's why people like Mark and I go and plant churches because the church is that basic fellowship unit that we all need. And I was talking to Mark last night about all the things that he's doing here, building uh, with, with small groups and prayer groups and, and even the discipleship program. And all those things are there for a reason, not just to make the church a more busy place, but to give each one of you opportunities and connections where you can experience this, because it's through the people of God that your security in God will grow. So, first, the people of God. Second of all, we need to recognize our personal limits. Very interesting. Look at verse verse 5 and 6 here. And it says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure and the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. He looks at what he has and he looks at what he doesn't have. And he says, God, thank you for all you've given me and thank you for what you haven't given me. And I recognize the place where I can live, the influence I have. I recognize the abilities I have and I recognize the things I can't do and the abilities I don't have and the places I can't go. And I'm Thankful for all of these. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Part of being human, part of living this life is recognizing our limits and recognizing our gifts and accepting our our gifts even as we accept the limitations on our life. And we all have limits and we all have to live within those limits. You know, for me, coming to grips with the fact that I... I wasn't going to be an NFL quarterback or break into the Yankees starting rotation. You know, those were limits I had to accept. Fortunately, it was pretty easy for me to accept them because I got cut from the freshman baseball team, you know. So, so, so it wasn't hard to understand that. But we all have things we'd like to do that we're not going to get to do. We've all have things we'd like to influence that we're not going to be able to influence. And, and. And the key to happiness, the key to security is receiving God's gifts, even as we receive the limitations on our life and accepting both of those with joy. It's kind of like, you know, I was over at at Mark's house last night and they've got a puppy. You might have heard. And, and, you know, one one of the challenges of of having a puppy and and training a puppy is, is for that puppy to be happy. For that puppy to prosper, that puppy needs to learn its limits. It needs to learn where it can go and where it can't go, what it can chew and what it can't chew, uh, what, uh, you know, what it can eat and what it can't eat, and, and all of those things that puppies have to learn in order to become a part of a household, right? And a puppy that learns all those things will enjoy a large measure of freedom because you don't have to worry about it chewing up the furniture or or messing up the rugs or or running away or things like that. But a puppy that never learns those things is always going to be on a chain, is always going to be in a cage, and it's never really going to have freedom. Part of our security as individuals, as children of God, is recognizing the limits that God has put on our life, accepting those limits, and living within those limits, resting in those limits. You know, that as some of, some of you may perhaps have prayed the prayer of serenity. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I, ha- I cannot change. What is all that about? That's about recognizing that there's things in this world that I'd like to change that I can't change. People in my life who I'd like to fix who I can't fix situations that i 'd like to i 'd like to resolve that i can 't resolve and i 'm just going to accept my own limits in all of those areas and as we do that and at the same time recognize the gifts that god 's given us that 's how we come to a, a place of security that 's how we come to a place of stability in our lives and here 's the thing the interesting thing i 've discovered about life is that Every limitation is always a gift, just as every gift also c- has with it limitations. You know, it's a limitation to be poor in a lot of ways, you know, when you don't have money to to get all the things that you need. But it's also a limitation in other ways to be rich. It's a limitation to be unemployed or underemployed and to be struggling in your career or, or to not have a job or not not be able to get the hours that you need. But it's also... A limitation when you've got a job that's so demanding and so consuming that you can't really think about or work on anything else. You know, it's a a limitation to be single, to be on your own for a time. But, you know, the Apostle Paul says it's also a limitation when you're married because you have to be concerned about pleasing and taking care of and maintaining that relationship with a spouse. It's a limitation some people feel when they can't have kids or don't have kids. But it's also a limitation. You're limited by the presence of kids in your life, pe- little ones that you've got to provide for and raise. And so we all have these gifts. We all have these limitations. But the way to security in our life, as we look at our life, as we look at our world, and the things we'd like to do and the things we want to do is to say with the psalmist, you alone are my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Therefore, I have a delightful inheritance. So we see our personal limits. We, we commit ourselves to the people of God. And, and the third thing is we re- remember the power of the resurrection. Look at verses 9 and 10. David says, Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And this was written by David. And you remember the story of the life of David. One thing about him is he lived a harrowing life, from slaying lions as a young shepherd, to fighting Goliath, to, to leading Israel in the conquest of Jerusalem, and all of his work as a warrior, to, to the disasters he had late in life when his son Absalom Tried to kill him and take his kingdom from him and he was cast out of his house. He lived a harrowing, dangerous life his whole time. And so he prayed, God, help me survive this. Don't abandon me to the grave. Don't let your Holy One see decay. Help me get through these challenges that I'm facing, facing right here and right now. And, you know... Sometimes that's all we can pray. God, just help me survive this day, this week, this procedure, this season of life or this circumstance that just seems unbearable. I have a good friend who's been, whose past year was terrible for him. His his mother got diagnosed with cancer and had about six months to live. And and within the past year, she was diagnosed and went through her treatments and ultimately passed. Simultaneous to that, his wife left him with two young children, and this guy was a hard-working young engineer. He had a pretty good job, he thought, and was on his way. And then his company hit some hard times, and they had to let him go. And all of these things kind of happened to him in one, in, in one year. And this is a young, young guy who kind of thought he had, had his life planned out, thought he knew where life was going. And in the space of 12 months, the whole thing fell apart. And he said he was talking to a friend sharing his, his tale of his woe and, and his friend said, Well, it sounds pretty rough, but the one thing I can say is you're probably not gonna die. You will survive this, you will get through this, and you will be able to work through this. I have a friend, uh, you know, a, a a counselor, a Christian therapist, and he's he's got a an answering machine. It's pretty interesting. You call his office after hours of and his voice comes on the phone and says, uh, you know, you've reached the office of Dr. Feelgood and nobody's available to take your call today. And uh, and if you'd like to leave a message, do so at the tone. But if this is an emergency, please call nine one one. And you know what he's saying? They're saying, you know, what? a lot of people think they have emergencies in life, but it's not really an emergency unless you need to call an ambulance, unless you need to call the police, unless someone's life is in danger in the moment. And we go through a lot of things, and depending what our life is like, we we face circumstances, things that worry us, things that consume us. But in the bigger picture, we just need to remember that God is in control, and, and there's a lot of things that we can lose, and we can still go on. And so, even when we feel like our life is threatened, we need to keep those things in perspective. But there's another side to this, too. David wrote this, but we know the story of David. We know the life of David. As the apostle Peter points out, you know, Psalm 16 was featured in the the, uh, the sermon that Peter preached at Pentecost. Peter points out that David prayed or wrote this psalm that God will not abandon him to the grave or let his body see decay. And yet, as Peter says, this is, this is printed out in the front of your bu- bulletin if you'd like to look at it, Peter says... Speaking on Psalm 16, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here with us to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life. What's the ultimate hope as we face the problems in life? What's the ultimate hope when we face serious illness, when we face serious brokenness, when we realize our life story isn't going to work out the way we wanted it to go? Is it that God's going to work everything out, that we're not going to die? The ultimate hope for believers is this, that Jesus has risen from the dead. And Jesus has reversed, begun the process of reversing all pain, all loss, all suffering, and all sorrow. And that's the hope that God gives us. We look at the story of Jesus and we realize that what the Christian faith offers us is not the promise that we'll never suffer and we'll never face setbacks and we'll never face difficulties. What the Christian faith offers us is the promise that we have a God who's entered into our suffering and our setbacks and our pain and our loss. He knows something about being betrayed by his friends. He knows something about family problems. He knows something about financial problems. He even knows something about homelessness. He knows something about suffering injustice at the hands of men. He knows something about praying prayers that don't get answered. He knows something about humiliation and embarrassment and bearing shame because He, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, went through all of these things before us and He went through them before us so that He could redeem us from them. That's the hope of the Christian faith, that we're not alone in that and that all of the awful things that life might throw at us or at our friends Are things that God has the power to redeem. The story of Jesus, the sufferings of Jesus, the passion of the Christ is a familiar story to all of us, and we can watch it with some hope because we know that, we know how the story ends, right? But to be united with Christ, to be crucified with Christ, means we go through the sufferings that God puts us through, and we can go through them with hope. Not because we know the details of how it's going to resolve, but we know the end result. The resurrection means that ultimately the bad things that happen aren't true anymore. Because God has begun the process of restoration. God has begun the process of redeeming. You know, there's something in us that wants to believe that if we're Faithful enough, if we're devoted enough, if we pray enough, and if we surrender everything to God, and if we give enough, and if we serve enough, God is going to make everything in our life work out. But that's a dangerous thing to believe, because sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. I got a friend who used to pray for his people this way. He'd start out and say, God, you know, you'd have a lot more friends in this world if you treated the ones you already had a little better. And, you know, I used to think that that was a tremendously irreverent way to address God. And then I actually read some of the Psalms where that complaint is essentially made. Why do the godly suffer? Why do the people who don't recognize God seem to be prosperous and carefree? Why is it that God does that? I don't know why, but God has a plan. Just like the disciples didn't know why Jesus was arrested and carried away and beaten up and hung on a cross until three days later. We're not going to know why things happen to us, why it is life unfolds the way it does, why it is certain prayers are not answered, why it is certain dreams and desires remain frustrated. We're not going to know. But to be a Christian, to live by faith, in a God who entered into our problems at the first Christmas and conquered our brokenness at the first Easter is to be able to live by hope in the midst of all of the challenges that we face. And we can find security there even when everything else is shaken. We still have a foundation. It's a foundation in the risen Christ. And it's in Him that we trust. That's why Paul prayed in another place. Philippians 3 said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but I'm going to know that through the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And so in our challenges, in our losses, we've got to remember that the ultimate battle has been won, and it was won by Jesus when he conquered sin and death on the cross, and then when he rose from the dead on that first Easter morning. And and things in life will drive each one of us back to that. And in fact, I think that's why God lets those things happen, so that we remember that we need to have an eternal hope, a living hope through Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. So... To find security, we need to be committed to the people of God. We need to recognize and accept our personal limitations. We need to embrace the power of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, that's the only place we're going to find security. And then finally, we need to embrace the promise of pleasure. It's very interesting. He says, verse 2, I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have No good thing. And then the very last verse, he says, you have made known to me the path of life and you fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. To be a Christian, to follow Christ, to live a life of discipleship is, at one level, to deny yourself some of the pleasures that the people of this world take for granted. But it's not because the pleasures of that we long for don't matter it's because we're holding out for a better pleasure for a greater pleasure for for something that will actually and ultimately satisfy our desires and that's why he says here you filled me with eternal pleasures at your right hand what david is looking forward to even though david was the richest man of his day even though he was the king of israel he was powerful and he had everything he said What I'm really longing for, what I'm really looking forward to, what I'm really anticipating is eternal pleasures, O Lord, at your right hand. And see, all of us, we go through our life and we're longing for certain things. And there's things that this world has to offer that we set our hearts on and we say, that is what I need to be happy. And as we go through life, generally, one of two things ultimately happens. On the one hand, Sometimes we set our hearts on these things and it just doesn't work out for us. You know, like me wanting to be an NFL quarterback. You know, it just didn't work out for me. And and we have to face the fact that things that we really, really wanted in this world, in this life, just aren't going to happen. I, I had a friend told me a story, and, and uh, I mean, those of you who are husbands will relate to this, but but he, he was being transferred to a new city and it was one of those circumstances where he and his wife had to had to buy a house and they were under time pressure because of the transfer and the move and everything else. And so they, they went to that city, they spent a couple days in a hotel room frantically looking at houses and going through the, the usual thing when you're shopping for houses, you know, the stuff that you can afford you don't like, the stuff that you like you can't afford and, and just kind of it was just a, a really stressful time. But at the end of it, they finally settled on a the house the way, the way you ultimately have to. And the husband's feeling pretty good at, about it because, check, this box is done. We've got our house. Now we can, can proceed to relocate to this new city. But his wife is kind of bothered. And he says, well, what, what's wrong, honey? What, what's going on? And she, she says to him, I guess I'm never going to get to live in my dream house. And she was just kind of coming to grips with the house she wanted, the home that she was hoping to enjoy one day just wasn't going to happen for her because because of their circumstances, because of their situation. And, you know, we have things in our life that we set our hearts on, things in our life that we really, really want. Sometimes they're not going to happen for us. But there's a flip side to that that I've observed a lot, and that is, we actually get everything we really, really want. Actually, our plans work out, and the things we'd set our heart on, actually, we end up accomplishing. We end up up getting those. And that sometimes can be even more devastating, because then one day you look up and you realize, well, I've got all I ever wanted, but it seems like it's not quite enough. I've got my dream house, but my family's fallen apart and I'm sitting here alone. Or we're together but we're miserable. I've got my dream job, but it's just not what I wanted. I've got the, I've got this, but I didn't realize that it could never, ever satisfy me. And here's the thing God has put in all, all of our hearts a longing, a desire for these pleasures, for these gifts, for beauty, for love, for luxury, for rest, for abundance and for joy. And we go through life and we seek this and the things we can buy and the things we can achieve and the people we can have relationships with and then we're frustrated and, we're, and we struggle because it just doesn't end up delivering what we thought it was going to do. And, and, and that's the great challenge of the human condition. And so what do we do? Maybe we become cynical about life. We give up on ever being satisfied or ever being ever having happiness, ever having joy, or, or we anesthetize that desire, we just lower our expectations, or we live vicariously by following closely the lives of various celebrities or things like that. But we, we find alternatives to actually seeking the thing that will satisfy our heart. What the Christian faith invites us to do is to recognize that the reason nothing in this world ultimately satisfies you or me. Nothing that money can buy, nothing that your heart can achieve, no relationship that you find yourself in ultimately satisfies the deepest longings of your heart because those longings are for another world, for another place. And that's what you need to look for. Not the pleasures of this life, but eternal pleasures at the right hand of God, You know, in this life, some of our dreams come true and some of our dreams are shattered. But what God wants us to do is use our shattered dreams and use our fulfilled dreams to point us to the ultimate dream, the dream that he places in the heart of all of his children, a dream for eternal pleasures at his right hand. We haven't yet arrived, but those gifts and those graces are waiting for us. Our risen Savior went to get them, and He promises that one day all of those desires will be satisfied. One day each of us will be embraced by a beauty and a grandeur that we can't even imagine today. One day each of us will find the love that will ultimately make our hearts whole one day jesus said to his disciples he said i tell you the truth this cup represents the new covenant in my blood i tell you that i will not drink again of the fruit of the vine till the day i drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom my friends, that will be a good glass of wine. That will be a meal that will satisfy your soul. That will be a family fellowship that will ultimately make you feel full. And you'll know the love and the beauty and the rest that you, have, that you long for. Jesus said to his disciples in another place, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. My friends, that is the dream home that you're looking for. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd forgive us for seeking security in things that ultimately will not satisfy us. Thank you for the promise of grace. Thank you for the victory of Christ. Help us to find our security and find our rest in Him and in Him alone, we pray. Amen.